you don't know me, if I'm a stranger to you, my name is Malik. I currently serve as one of the pastors here at Greenhouse Church, specifically the pastor in residence here at Greenhouse Church, South Florida. And I'm excited because today we're getting ready to hop into a brand new series, a survey through the life of the man called Elijah. And we're doing this series because here at Greenhouse Church, it is our heart to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. And there is someone in the Bible by the name of Elijah who the Bible calls ordinary, but I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you read these characters in the Bible and they seem far from it, right? There are people in the Bible who are like walking on water or who are beating entire armies with the jawbone of a donkey or who are floating on boats as the entire world is flooded. When you look at the Bible, some of these people seem like superheroes. They seem like impossible to attain realities. And then the pastor comes and tells you, be like this person. And you're like, I can't be like somebody who turns water to wine. I can't turn nothing to nothing. They're like, I can barely boil water, much less turn it into a completely different object. And, and so we have this, this tension that we have to navigate as we're a completely ordinary people asked to do extraordinary things. But the Bible mentions this man, Elijah, who again to me does not seem very ordinary, right? And so, but before we get too lost, we'll hop into our text today. Jump to your feet with me. We're looking at the book of James. Book of James, chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. James, chapter 5, it's also on the Sky Bible if you don't want to pull out your phone, which is fine. This is a lot bigger anyway. And it reads like this. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you because it is in you that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. God, as we gather around your word today, you speak to it. God, decrease me as a communicator, as a preacher, as a whatever. God, push me out the way, and do you get the praise, the honor, and the glory that is due unto your name? Help us to hear from heaven today. In the magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have your seats. Thank you, guys. And so the section we read, James says, Elijah, as human as we are, prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. I don't know someone who is as human as me who prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. If you don't know, that's a lot of time. That's three times 365 days. And you're like, oh, Pastor, I'm do the math. Ha, no, I'm not doing math in public. You're going to embarrass me, right? And so... It's all of this and it adds up. And before James gets to this portion, he's talking about prayer. Before James gets to mentioning this character that everybody is familiar with, he's talking about prayer. See, in the verses leading up to it in James 5, 13 to 16, it reads like this. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And he continues and he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, James is talking about prayer in this passage. And he goes, if you're sick, pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you sad? Pray. Is there a problem in your life? Pray. His solution to everybody's problem is prayer. 
And then as an illustration for this solution, he gets to the man whose life we're going to survey for the next few weeks, Elijah. And you see, James is Jesus' half-brother on his daddy's side. And so James, Jesus' brother, is writing and he's talking to Jewish believers scattered abroad throughout their then-known world. And he's communicating to them, and he brings up this man, Elijah. Everyone who he was writing to would have known who Elijah was. I'm not them. So I had to figure out, who is Elijah? Who is this man that James just haphazardly mentions and says he stopped the rain for three and a half years? We'll take a step back and we'll look at Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. It says this. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth brook east of Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. If you're wondering, this is not the middle of Elijah's story. The first time he gets mentioned in the Bible, the Bible just says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead. We don't know his mama. We don't know his daddy. We don't know how much money he had. We don't even know how old this dude was. All we know is that Elijah shows up in the picture, and the first thing we see is that the Lord tells him something, and he repeats it, and then he tells something to the Lord. It is this communication relationship. You see, Elijah is very ordinary. He, when you look at his story, he is actually just some guy. Like, and I say that with all due respect, he's one of my favorite biblical persons. But he is just an ordinary man who spends a lot of time with an extraordinary God. You see, that is what connects these two things. It's not the fact that Elijah was someone special. It's the fact that Elijah knew the Lord. The first time we see him, it's Elijah talking to the Lord. And when he's talking to King Ahab, he says, as soon as the God of Israel lives, the God I serve. He puts that emphasis on it. He goes, oh, by the way, it's not just the God of Israel. This is my God, the God I serve. And that is what is the connection and the crux of their relationship. Elijah is an ordinary man who has a lot of faith in an extraordinary God. And you see, when we look at the life of Elijah, we will see things like him raising people from the dead and him causing widows to have children and him outrunning chariots. And when he doesn't die, he gets taken to heaven on a chariot of fire. These are not ordinary things. But the only thing that separates him from you and I is that Elijah prayed. That's what James says. James says Elijah is an ordinary man, but when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. So what would happen if someone was telling the story of your life and they said, oh, well, I'll use Pastor John because my friend is back. Pastor John was an ordinary man, but when he prayed, what if that was the asterisk at the end of your life? Such and such was an ordinary person, but when they prayed, because that is all it is for Elijah. He is an ordinary man who prays. You see, here's the thing about Elijah, and here is the thing about all of us. James tells us something about Elijah. Elijah was a man of extraordinary connection. He wasn't an extraordinary man, but he was a man of extraordinary connection. Elijah bet his life on being linked to someone that was bigger than him. 
And that's why when he goes to King Ahab, he doesn't just say the God of Israel, he says the God I serve. He said the God I'm connected with has told me to tell you this. You see, Elijah lives life out of this connection. And if you're taking notes, here is the big idea. If we want to be ordinary people who do extraordinary things, we need to spend time with the only extraordinary one. If you want to have a life that makes an impact for the kingdom of God, it will only be done by spending time with the only extraordinary one. But you see, the extraordinary isn't just walking on water, and it's not just calling down fire from heaven, and it's not just outrunning chariots, and it's not just beating false prophets. Can I tell you the truth? Living for Jesus, point blank, period, is extraordinary. Being a Christian in a world that doesn't want you to be, it's extraordinary. Doing the thing that Jesus tells you to do, like loving those who hate you, is extraordinary. When someone swings on you when you turn the other cheek, that is extraordinary. Why? Because you don't have to try to walk on water. You just got to try to walk out your house to need Jesus. And honestly, you got to try to get out of the bed in the morning to need Jesus. And honestly, you got to try to go to sleep at night to need Jesus. You don't got to do nothing but breathe to need Jesus. If you want to be extraordinary, spend time with the only extraordinary one. That's the only solution. Whatever it is in your life, if it's your business, if it's your children, if it's your family, if it's, it's your vocation, the only way you can succeed in any lasting way is to spend time with the only extraordinary one. See, and I say this with all humility, I say this with all respect. Anything that we do that does not come out of a place of abiding is a dead work. Whatever it is, if it, uh, if it changes the world and God isn't in it, it won't last. We have seen through history empires rise and fall and they didn't last. Rome had Caesars and they didn't last. Great Britain and Europe had kings and they didn't last. Why? Because anything that isn't rooted in Jesus fails. We are celebrating a faith that was founded 2,000 years ago. It outlasted empires, it outlasted kings, it outlasted other people who thought they were God. Why? Because it is connected to the only extraordinary one. If you want to have an impact in life, and not even something big, if you want to live a legacy of love that lasts, you need to spend time with the only extraordinary one. Elijah got it. But it's not just Elijah. If you're like me, you have people in your life who embody this connection so beautifully. They are people, and probably older ones, because us young people don't seem to get, click the things quite yet, but the older ones, and, and they would spend time having extraordinary connection. Like Elijah, they were far from perfect people. I'm sure we have as many good stories about so many people as we have bad stories about some of these people. But we acknowledge and remember them fondly because they modeled extraordinary connection. You see, for me growing up and to this day, my mom and my grandmother are two of my faith heroes. My grandmother in particular was someone in my life who modeled extraordinary connection. My friends and cousins and I, we would spend summers at her house because our parents were at work, but she probably wasn't. And so our parents would ship all of us to my grandmother's house and that included cousins. And if you were staying with us, that included some of our friends. And we would all pack up in my grandmother's house, five to a room, sleeping on the floor, under the table, on the couch, wherever we could find a spot to sleep. And we would spend our summers there. And I distinctly remember waking up in the middle of the night to go rob something from the fridge, because that's how I live my life. 
And I'd go to the fridge and I'd walk and I'd walk down the hallway and I'd hear my grandmother, it's two o'clock in the morning, and she's just singing a hymn in her room. I'm like, woman, you don't sleep. But down the hall, as I'm stealing Frosted Flakes, I have the polar bear on it because they weren't getting enough to name brand stuff back then, right? God help us. Them polar bear Frosted Flakes, I would eat them, and I would hear her in a room, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And she would pray, and I'd go back to my room, and, and sometimes if you woke up in the middle of the night, you could hear her walking down the hallway, peeking open your door, and just praying for you as you slept. And then she did things I really didn't like. Like, when we were all over the house for the summer, some morning she would wake us up at the crack of dawn. And she would call us all into the living room, and she would say, hey, we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning. And I remember me and my, my friends would be like, this is, why, this is why I don't chill with you over the summer, because your grandma is crazy, number one. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, it's 5 o'clock in the morning, the sun's not even up yet, and we're out here praying. But I learned something from her commitment. I learned that she attributed everything she had in life to that connection with God. And I'm alive today, I honestly believe, because of those moments. I believe I am who I am today because I begrudgingly sat with my grandmother as she prayed. And she would pray for everybody. She would sit down and she would say, God, touch the construction workers on the road. And I'm like, you don't even know these people. You just call them construction workers. And she would say, God, touch the pilots that they're flying through the air. Cover the firefighters and the police officers. She would go down this mental lift of everybody. And then she'd get to the family and everybody in the family and our cousins. And then she'd come to our friends. She'd pray for our friends. And she'd lay hands on our friends and pray for them. And I remember people getting saved at 5 o'clock in the morning who were just spending the summer with us. Why? Not because my grandma was somebody special but because she spent time connected to someone special. You see, we all have these sorts of people that we look up to, but the reality is sometimes when we look at them, we look at them like we look at Elijah, and they're, they're great, but I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. All I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to do is roll back over and go back to sleep. I don't wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning to do nothing, but she woke up and she prayed, and we wonder, how do we, how do we get there? How do we live lives of extraordinary connection? Well, I'm glad you asked. You do two things. The two things are you abide and you pray. You abide and you pray. See, that might seem very elementary. It might seem very normal. Oh, of course, a pastor is telling us to pray. That's kind of sort of his job. No, 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 no. You see, I don't just mean your morning devotion, quiet time, and then you go out from your day separated from the time that you prayed. I mean a relationship with God that is an actual connection, not just moments, but connection. The late Bishop J.C. Ryle from the 19th century put it like this. He said, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of consistent, close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. You see, he said, when you, when you want to live a life of abiding, it means living a life of constant close communion with God. It isn't just my quiet time, it's my all the time time. When we abide with God, we take our relationship with God and we bring it everywhere we go. It looks like just sitting in your car and praying. 
You see, abiding isn't just quiet time presence. It's in the Popeye's drive-through presence. It's walking on Western's campus presence. It's walking in your office presence. It's, you know what, instead of chilling with my coworkers today on a lunch break, I'm just going to walk around the building and, and just meditate and pray to the Lord for a few minutes. It is abiding. It is to live with Jesus. And out of this place of living, we pray. Because if we live with him, we should probably talk to him. It'd be real weird to live with somebody you don't talk to. Real, it's, it's uncomfortable. But you see, if abiding is our location, prayer becomes our vocation. And if that's too much for you, here it is. If you have to spend time with him, then you talk to him. See, abiding is where you live, and then prayer is what you do as you live there. And, and why does that make it special? Because when you actually live with someone, you know them. You have a connection with them. You see, the friendships that are probably the most potent for us are the friendships where we go way back. Like you go back like full flats on the Cadillac. You go all the way back with these people. And those are the relationships that actually have depth and they have meaning. Why? Because we've spent time together. Me and my close group of friends, we've been friends for almost 20 years now. And there are some things we don't even have to communicate. Somebody says something, we just look at each other, and everybody's on the floor laughing. And the people around us are like, what's so funny? But you see, we know each other so much, we don't even have to say anything. And that is what this abiding produces. It produces such a level of depth with God that you don't have to be talking to him for him to talk to you. We don't have to pump and prod someone to talk to us who we spend time with. It's why Elijah is just walking, and God says, hey, tell Ahab this. It's why Elijah is just living his life. And the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It doesn't say Elijah went to seek the word of the Lord. It says the word of the Lord came to him. Because they are close, they live life together. And it's not just Elijah. The people in the Bible like Enoch. The Bible says Enoch walked so close with the Lord until one day he was just not. Like, we don't know what that even means. He was just so close with Jesus. One day he didn't even die. He just disappeared. What if that's not the goal, but the way we live our lives? So close with Jesus that the only thing people know about us is that we love him. But because we love him, we actually communicate with them. But we're going to we talk about abiding. So we abide and we pray. We abide and we pray. We abide and pray. You see, when we pray, we have a conversation with our heavenly father. See, prayer isn't just going to God and giving him a wish list of things we wish he would do. It's not getting up in the morning and saying, hello, God, for this morning, I would like a raise. I would like them to lower my APR on this car. I would like for my landlord to call me and say, I don't think you should pay rent anymore. Right? That, that, we don't go to God with this wish list. Instead, he's our friend, so we have a conversation. See, when we pray out of a conversation, we take all our care to him because he cares for us. We take our frustrations to God and we say, God, I don't even know why you're doing this right now, but, but can you help me see what you're doing? And when we're worried, we talk to him because he actually does care about us. And when we're on the mountain, we talk to him and we thank him for getting us there. And when we're on the valley, we thank him for being, us, for being with us there. You see, it is a conversation. And though requests might come, the Bible says to bring those things to him. Requests aren't the basis of your relationship with God. You see, when we pray, there are some things we don't do. And Jesus actually points it out quite clearly. Jesus said, when you pray, it's not just random incantations or, or repetitions. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. 
Or he continues and he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So let's demystify prayer for a moment. We're not talking about six hours in your room in the morning where you pray in 1611 Elizabethan English. You don't wake you up in the morning and say, thank you, O great Lord, for all the things you have bestowed upon me this morning. Thou art great and thy name is worthy to be praised. You can pray like that if you want to. But I don't know anybody who actually talks like that. See, when I pray, I walk in the room and I say, God, what are you doing? Like, like I don't get what you're doing and I'm actually very frustrated with you in the moment. And you see, that's how David does it. David starts the sum of the Psalms and he goes, God, do you hate me? Do we have a problem? Do we have beef? Like, what is going on here? And you see, something happens to your heart when you pray. You see, when you pray, you actually begin to look more like Jesus. It's why all of the Psalms end with David saying, but you are great and I will praise you. Every time I walk in the room frustrated with God and I pray, I leave the room going, actually, you're all right. And I go about my day. Why? Because prayer changes you. Far too often we walk into prayer looking for it to change things. God invites us to prayer because it changes us. You see, even Jesus does it. When Jesus is in the garden getting ready to be crucified, he prays and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he recognizes it and he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, something about prayer reorients your life to who is actually in the center of it. You see, when we don't pray, we become the center of our universe. Prayerlessness leads to self-centeredness. But when we pray, we change our life to rotating and reorienting around God. And when you live a life that is reoriented around God, it is a better life. Why? Because you actually don't like you all that much. You get on your own nerves quite often. But you see, when we reorient our lives around God, we reorient our lives around the person who was actually able to do something. The person who was actually able to be with you in the fire because you don't want to be with you in the fire. The person who was able to be with you in the valley because your friends don't want to be with you in the valley. You see, when we pray, we experience this, order, this extraordinary connection that pulls heaven closer to us. And by doing that, we start to look more like Jesus. And this isn't just some new phenomenon. This is something that has been agreed upon through Christians all throughout time. Every Christian, no matter your denominational background, has agreed that prayer is important. See, Christians, we disagree in a lot of gray areas, but one thing is black and white, and that's we all love to pray. Why? Because we recognize that we cannot do this life outside of dependence on Jesus. But prayer does require great humility. It requires humility to say, God, I can't do this. God, I actually need your help. God, I actually need you to talk to me. I actually need to hear from you. And see, and that, that's, that's what happens. See, when we pray, we just don't talk to God. It's a conversation. It is a dialogue, not a monologue. And so when we pray, he also talks to us. You see, that's what, that's what Elijah's doing. The Bible says, Elijah heard from God and then spoke. So there is one of our missions partners who sponsors one of the trips we take to Jackson, Mississippi every year. And he was talking about this very same connection. And his name is Dr. John Perkins. And Dr. Perkins said it like this. He says, it can be easy to forget the other side of Elijah's prayer life, the listening side. He goes on and he says, in fact, 
I believe Elijah would point to a listening moment if he had to choose his most profound prayer experience. You see, when you spend time with God, the reason it's not a wish list is because he's talking to you. And sometimes prayer just looks like sitting in the room, pausing yourself for a moment and listening for him to speak. It's not always us going in the room and talking. And we're going to get into a little bit more detail of what it means to hear God's voice in a few weeks, but test it and try it. Right, so what we read earlier, like, if we seek, we will find. If you knock, he will open the door. No one asks to talk to God and he doesn't answer them. Right, and even, even if it doesn't, even if this week you're like, I don't even know what's gonna, what that's going to look like, pause yourself for a moment. In the time where we would, like, get in our driveways and kind of sort of scroll social media before we, like, get in the house, let's actually put the phone down for those minutes we're going to sit in the car anyway and say, hey, God, I'm here. Anything you want to say? And he is faithful enough to do it. See, this connection will change your life. And it's very easy to get into a moment like this and to be like, oh, Pastor Malik, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. Right? All of us struggle with carving out this time of abiding in prayer. Every single one of us, myself included. I remember growing up, my friend and I, we made this insane commitment that teenagers make. And we were like, hey, bro, we're going to wake up at 5 o'clock every morning. We're going to pray before we go to school. And I'm not going to lie to you, some mornings when the phone rang, I would look at it and i go, if I just don't answer. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't get the call. I'm sorry. Maybe next time. Like, oh, it didn't ring, you know, something. The phone, there's technology. Like, so a lot of mornings, that was my thought process. But I'd begrudgingly roll over and I'd take the phone. And some mornings, one of us was asleep on the other end anyway. Like, so the person, one of us was starting, we'd share what the Lord had on our heart that morning. And after we're done sharing, we'd be like, hey, you there? You there? Hey, 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 hey. Sometimes I would hang up and call him back. He'd wake up, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. <laughs> Why? Because it happens to all of us. Right? Like, prayer is a tough thing for all of us. Why? Because everything in our life and the world doesn't want us to pray. It's, the, it's that, that's why the, like you will be, have all the energy in the world. And the second you sit down to read your Bible, you are exhausted. And it's not just you, there, there are characters in the Bible. There's, there's a king in the Bible and you can't sleep one night. And he goes, get them to bring me the scrolls. Get them to bring me the Bible. That will put me to sleep. See, like he knows that about himself. And he goes, I can't sleep. Let's read it. Why? Because there, we all know it. It's why we, we, we wake up and we say, I'm going to spend extra time this morning and I'll set my alarm and the alarm goes off, and we'll just say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is very, very weak. And I can't roll out of bed, or we'll go to pray, and we're like, all right, I'm going to pray. And five minutes in, which is just about a tenth of the way through the first Maverick song, you're, you're, out, of, you, you're out of stuff, you're bored, you're tired, and that's okay. Like, this isn't a message to beat anyone up for, their, for abiding in prayer. It is, I want to invite you into life-giving relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you into the best thing for your spiritual life, actually spending time with God. That is what will actually produce the results we're looking for. See, it is in those moments where we change everything. You see, this connection is transformational. And again, like I say, it's not just us. There were a group of guys in our, our sister church up in Gainesville, and they, they tried to gather to pray, like, we're going to pray all night. And like, not this like new school all night prayer where like you pray from 7 to 9. I mean like old school all night prayer where you pray from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Like the, the old school type of prayer. And like we're going to pray all night. And first night, everybody fell asleep. 
And see, that's just like us, but we can either run away or we can try again. God wants us to try again. Will you become a person of extraordinary connection? See, those brothers in Gainesville, they tried again. And they're like, we're going to start small this week. We're going to do this one, and next week we can go up by an hour. We can go up by an hour. Why? Because they progressively wanted to get better at it. Why? They were intentional. Will we be intentional in abiding and connection? Will we intentionally seek out the moment to spend time with God? It's not going to happen by happenstance. You don't spend time with nobody by accident. And if you do, it is always a bad time. Every time you're next to that person, you're like, why am I in this seat? Jesus on this plane. We're going to California. It is five hours, and they have already started talking to me about their dog. I'm just going to go to the bathroom, hope they fall asleep. I'm going to just stand back there for like 30 minutes. And like, <laughs> no, that's just me. It's okay. It's fine. You don't got to judge me. That's fine. <laughs> right? You see why? Because we don't, like, every, every person we want to spend time with, you actually have to try to do it. How friendships work. It's how relationships work. Why would God be any different? Why would God not want to spend intentional time with you? So this week, here's what I want you to do. 15 and 15. These aren't just numbers because I'm not good at math. I don't just say things. Right? So here's what I want you to do. Spend 15 minutes in the Word this week and spend 15 minutes every day in prayer this week. 15 and 15. Every day this week. And if you're like, oh, Malik, I got your beat. I'm already at my 15. I have 15 more. Look, I'm at 45, add 15 more. We're going we to keep doing this. Why? You can't spend too much time with Jesus. Right? It's actually not possible. to. Oh, you, you pray too much. No. Nobody prays too much. If anything, we all pray too little. Jesus himself was always talking to the Father. He would wake up very early in the morning and go pray. So this week, spend 15 minutes with the Lord. And you see, honestly speaking, if you're like, Malik, I'm already doing it, increase your connection. When, when you get in the car and you're on your way to work, instead of turning on your music or your podcast, play, play, let the Bible refresh itself over you in your car. Meditate on it. You see, again, this isn't legalism. I'm encouraging you to connect. And whatever that looks like for you, do it. In this season for me, sometimes that means when my wife goes out for a run, I go pray. I'm like, she's going to be there for 30 minutes. I'm not running over, but I'm going to run to this room and I'm going to pray for a little bit. And I'm, I'm going to run my mouth with Jesus while she runs physically. And I'll do that. Or what, sometimes it looks like, I'm going to just go sit in my car for a little bit, and I'm just going to take some time to pray. Sometimes it looks like me stepping out of my office and I'm sermon prepping and walking around the plaza where our, where our hub space is and just hearing from the Lord. What, is, what will it look like for you? You see, we don't all have to be Elijah, but we all do have to become extraordinarily connected. You don't have to become the second coming of everybody. Please be yourself, but be your most connected self. Why? Because prayer actually does work, right? Like it actually does work. I mentioned earlier how like denominations, we all agree on this. There's a man who led to what we now call 21st century Pentecostalism. He was an almost blind descendant of slaves by the name of William Seymour. William Seymour grew up at a time where he wasn't allowed to go to Bible college. So he had to sit outside the classroom while the people taught and listen through the window. But you see, this man was a man who dedicated himself to prayer. So much so that it led to what we call now the Azusa Street Revival. What is that? Everybody got saved. Like People came from across the world to come to this revival and people experienced the presence of the Lord like never before because this one-eyed slave and his friend started to pray. And that's the backstory of every single revival in the history of the church. 
Nobody preached. Nobody was just that good. People just started to pray. And you see, that's what happens. What did Jesus say? Jesus, he says, hey, when you go wait for the Holy Spirit, go to the room and pray. And it's not just them. You see, on the other, so if William Seymour's all the way over here, there's a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who was all the way over here. And Charles Spurgeon was such a good preacher that he earned the nickname the Prince of Preachers. And people said, hey, he had led one of the first mega churches ever. And they're like, how did you do it? And he goes, oh, I just have people pray all the time. He goes, while I'm praying, they're in the back room of the church praying. While we're doing outreach, they're in the basement of the church praying. He goes, people are never not praying here. See, two different ends of the spectrum. One thing they can all agree on. Powerlessness follows prayerlessness. So I'll ask you the question. Do you want to be powerful? Not, again, not powerful enough to walk on water. Powerful enough to love your enemies. Do you want to be powerful enough to actually make disciples? If you want to be powerful, you must be prayerful. You see, when we started this year, we had some intentional time of prayer here as a church. And if you weren't here, I'll recount it for you very quickly. People were healed when we prayed. Worship team, y'all can come up here. And as they come, there's a story of one of the, one of the ladies in our church who she goes to the doctor and the doctor was like, hey, the baby's not going to make it. We're going to have to take this child out the womb. The baby's dead. And they get to the place and the church prays. And we pray and the doctor goes, we don't really know what's happening right now, but the baby's living. The baby has come to full term and is alive now. A dead baby lives because God is good and because he's good, we pray. See, this is what happens when his people actually pray. People, somebody here couldn't sleep for years. She had chronic insomnia. And as God's people prayed, she got her first full night's sleep in years. Why? Not because we're good, but because we pray. And we go to the God who was and is and is to come. Who do we pray to? We pray to the God that spoke and the universe unspun itself and became all that it is today. We pray to the God that died and rose again for you. Who do we pray to? The God that the mountains bow before. The God that the universe sings his praises. If we don't sing, he is so good that the Bible says the rocks will cry out and sing for us. Why do we pray? Because I bet you there's nothing he can't do. I bet you there's not a door he can't open. I bet you there's not a mountain he can't move. I bet you there's not a sickness he can't heal. Why do we pray? Because he listens and he actually moves when we pray. See, he wants to talk to you and he wants to be with you. Why? He sent his only begotten son into the earth to make sure that this connection would never be severed. You see, Jesus died so that we could have connection with the Father. And the Bible says that not only did he pray in his life, but in this moment, Jesus prays for you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he is right now at the right hand of the Father being our advocate. If Jesus prays for you, why not pray to him? You see, because he, you are still top of his mind. When he talks to the Father every day, he thinks of you and he says, Father, have mercy on them because they're on their way to you. He says, Father, bless them because they are covered by my blood. Jesus is making intercession for you in this moment. It's why the things in your life that should have killed you didn't take you out. Why? Because Jesus prays for you. He said this to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But he said, I have prayed for you 
that your faith fail not. If you're in this room, Satan wanted to take you out, but Jesus said, I have prayed for you so that your faith fail not. Your friends turned their backs on you. How are you still alive? Because Jesus prays for you. And because he prays for you, will you pray to him? Will you spend 15 minutes in your word and 15 minutes talking to him this week? Why? Because it will change your life. I am a living witness that prayer works. My grandmother prayed and a child who had a, what it was, a .7 GPA or an arrest record and got kicked out of high school stands on a stage today. Why not? Because I'm good, but because Jesus prays for me. And I stand here today because he is still moving. And in your situation, what do you think he can't do? I dare you to pray to him and see if he won't do it. I dare you to give him a chance and see if he won't move. Prayer partners, if you guys could come forward. As they come forward, if you're in this room today and you're investigating God, faith, and spirituality, and you're wondering and saying, Pastor Malik, like, why, why is this so important? It's important because the God of the universe actually wants to love you. He wants to put an end to your sleepless nights. He wants to take the burdens that you're carrying. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants to end the fact that you're always exhausted. He wants to give you rest. He wants to soothe your anxieties and calm your fears and uplift the heavy burdens that are on your life. And I don't say this to promote our church. I say this to promote Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. And if you've been saved for years and you feel like, Malik, there are moments where I'm good at prayer and there are moments that I'm bad. He doesn't, he's not pushing you away. In the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, he kept looking for them. He didn't run away from them. So if you would pray to him, he will hear you. Jesus says in Revelation, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, I will come in and, share, and we will share a meal together as friends. That's the God who we're asking you to talk to. The God who says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart and I just want to share a meal together as friends. If you're investigating God, faith, and spirituality, my question to you is simple. Will you become Jesus' friend? Not will you become a member of this church? Will you become Jesus' friend? If so, we have prayer partners here for you, but not just those people, but anybody. You see, we just talked about how important prayer was. And it's no coincidence that every Sunday we have people come forward in this church to pray for you and with you. Why? Because we believe it still does work. So if there's a situation, it doesn't have to be anything we talked about today, but you want to pray, I invite you to come forward and let's join together and seek God on your behalf and with you. Don't leave today and you walked in, you're like, I really wish someone would pray for me. Here's the moment. Come forward and let them pray. The worship team is going to sing a song and I would love for anyone who's not going to come forward to spend these next few moments pressing into God. Say, hey Jesus, I want to spend more time with you and I don't know how that will look. I bet he'll paint you a picture. I bet he will so kindly show you how it can look. The worship team is going to sing, but if you want prayer, please come forward. You want to wait till the end of the service, you can come forward now. But they're going to sing and I invite us to spend that time focusing on Jesus because he does want that relationship with you. Trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. 
hearing us when we seek you. Thank you for being good and for having mercy that endures forever. Thank you for being a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Church, if you're able, would you join me standing? are find yourself in this spot of life where you find yourself today but I want to invite us all to sing this this bridge or chorus whatever part of the song it is where they say I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered why because for some of us it is a testimony and for the others of us it is a hope so sing it as a testimony of the fact that he heard you or in this moment sing it 
as a hope that you believe and trust that he will hear you. Church, we're going to sing that out and I want us to sing it like it's the last song we're going to sing today. We're not going to ask you to sing again until next week. Invite us to sing this song with all that we have, trusting that we sought him and he heard and he answered. And he answered. That's why I trust him. That's why I trust him. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. I sought the Lord and he heard. And he answered, I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's why I trust him, that's why I trust him. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's why. Trust him, that's why I trust him. The Bible says this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. Trust Jesus this week. Cry out to Jesus this week. He hears and he answers. And if you're wondering, hey, like how how do I I, I don't even know where to start to learn to pray every Tuesday morning. At our hub space in Tamarack, we have morning prayer. I invite you to get up a little bit early, come out and pray with us in the morning. Like it is beautiful, it is wonderful. And I invite you, make that be a step that you take this week. Come out this Tuesday to our hub space and pray with us. Microchurches are also starting back up. Plug in the community. Community is a beautiful place to learn, to spend time abiding and in prayer with God. But church, we are ready to close out today and so I'll, I'll say this the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace let's pray our father and our God the one that hears and moves we come to you because you're not deaf because you incline your ears to your people so God there are people in the room who have been praying about things for a long time let them know that they are heard the people in the room who have given up on talking to you, let them know that they can keep coming, that you haven't turned your back on them, but that you hear every cry and everything rises to heaven. Let them know that they can seek you and they can find you and they can trust in you as their God, their Savior, the one who will never fail. Help them to keep seeking you, to keep trusting you, to keep praying to you. In the magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.